happen are uh, being excused, so I'll give it just a little second there, and uh, then move into the sermon. This series, uh, I need to hit the recorder, I always forget that. This series that uh, we are doing uh, on resisting assimilation and enduring persecution, this week I've changed the sermon several times. I've just gone back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Originally, I was scheduled to address the content of the book, Live Not By Lies, that we are that we're reading. Uh, part of my struggle was, I don't know how many of you have read the book. I haven't gotten much feedback on that. So let me know if you're reading it or you're, you're about to. Uh, the other part was I was trying to figure out how to tie it into Purim, as we have done with our liturgy this morning. Part of it was that I was thinking I might want to address the Equality Act that was passed by the House this week. And then after reading some near-panic reactions from many religious groups regarding the Equality Act passage, I had reservations about addressing it. I don't want to add to that kind of uh, panic. Then last night, the Pacific Justice Institute, uh, which is one of the groups that uh, helps protect us legally, uh, announced that they had won a major victory uh, at the Supreme Court yesterday opening the door for religious services in California in those areas where they they were still shut down and could only have outdoor um, services. After a lot of thinking and praying and scrambling about this, I decided to talk to you about these things in a more combined form. So this may be more of a commentary than a sermon, uh, but it will fit the pattern of an epistle, and it's really one of the messages that I had in this in this series, uh, though adapted. And I've entitled it, Do Not Be Afraid. So I'd like you to turn to Luke chapter 12, verses 4 to 12. We're going to look at those. Then I want to talk about these issues. In Luke chapter 12, verse 4, we read these words. This is, this is the Lord speaking. I say to you, my friends... Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body, and after that do have no more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two cents? Yet not one of them is forgotten before God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear. You are more valuable. Than many sparrows. I tell you that everyone who confesses me before men, the Son of Man will confess him before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Everyone speaking a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him. So when they bring you into the synagogues and before rulers and authorities, don't worry about how or what you're going to speak in your defense or what you're going to say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Now, our Lord in this passage, which is paralleled in a somewhat different context in the Gospel of Matthew, here he says, my friends, I think he does this to be reassuring. 
And then the words he says are, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body, and after that, there's nothing else they can do. Now, for us, this is astounding. Uh, we don't think in these terms, none of us want to be killed. Why is he talking this way? He's talking this way because Jesus knows that this life and that all we see around us is temporal, and it has limited value. He came from heaven, and he knows the reality of the unseen aspects of this creation. He goes on further to say that we should fear the one who, after killing, can throw us into Gehenna, hell. Gehenna is the lake of fire. It's the place of eternal punishment and abandonment by God. And Jesus says God, who is the judge of the whole earth, is the one that we should fear. Now, this notion of fearing God is the idea of not only of taking him seriously, but realizing that he really does have power and authority over us. And so we should have a healthy fear of the Lord that grows in faith of the Lord uh, so that we are walking in his ways. But we fear things that we see. We fear things that we anticipate, often with without any regard to the constant, repeated statements in both testaments of the scriptures that God says to his people, do not fear. Don't be afraid. Fear not. Hundreds of times in the scriptures, God tells specific people and his people in general not to fear. Not to fear people, not to fear circumstances, not to fear the future. And the Apostle Paul, uh, in that vein, tells us that none of the things that are in this life can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. That Romans 8 passage, so important, I read earlier in the series, I want to read it again, where we pick it up at verse 35, where he says, What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation? Distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword? No. For your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep for the slaughter in this life. But in all these things, we are overwhelmingly conquerors through him who loved us. And Paul says, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, depth, any other created thing, anything of this creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, that's incredible, and we love that verse, but it's very hard to grasp it, because the minute we see something, we're like Peter, who's walking on water and then sees the waves, and we start to sink. Now, Jesus explained why this is true. He said, sparrows are cheap, yet God takes notice of them. And even the hair of our head are numbered. In my case, that's a part-time job for whoever's doing it. We're valuable to God. Not because we're inherently valuable, but because we bear his image, created in the image of God, and we will bear the image of his son in resurrection as part of the new creation. He has made us valuable, 
And we are valuable to him because we manifest his glory. Now that's why Paul said in the section of chapter 8 that I just read, that if God be for us, who can be against us? He's not saying that nothing can touch us. Paul is goes out of his way to say that the sufferings of this life are not worthy to be compared, but not that they are not here. Nothing in this life, including death, can make an eternal difference. That's amazing, and I don't think we fully appreciate that, because we're so focused on the temporal, and we end up fearing it inappropriately. So I want to go back to a verse, and we read it earlier today. I want to read it again in the book of Esther, um, chapter 4, verse uh, verse 14 to 17. Mordecai says, If you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. Mordecai knows that God is going to keep Israel. He's going to not let them be exterminated. So he trusts that God will bring them. He says, on the other hand, you and your father's house will perish, but who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. Sometimes where we are is not for our benefit, but for the benefit of God's people. As Joseph said, you meant this for evil, God meant it for good. This is incredible words. What she does then is she says, uh, go assemble the Jews who are found in Susan, fast for me, don't eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maidens will do the same, and I will go into the king, which is not according to the law, And if I perish, I perish. Wow! These are words of faith. These are not words of fear. These are words of faith. They say, as Job said, I will put my life in his hands, and though he slay me, I will hope in him. And they agree with the Hebrew children who said, King, our God is able to deliver us, but if not, we will not bow down. Now, this is not defiance. This is standing by faith in the face of threats, knowing that death may come, but nothing more. Resurrection is promised, and it is our hope that is in God through Messiah Yeshua. We have to confess him before men. This is because we bear his name, and we have his word, and we have his spirit. It should permeate our whole life. To deny him to save ourselves will cause us to lose our life. But if we lose our life for his sake, the scripture says, and Jesus said, we will save it. Now we don't need to make this a strategy or a plan for our defense. The spirit will teach us what we need to say when we need to say it. Because God will never leave us nor forsake us. He will be with us. I am always comforted by the words of Jesus to Paul. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He was persecuting the people of God. And Jesus took it personally. Because if you do it to the least of these, 
you do it to me. Now, with that in mind, I want to talk about this House bill, which, if passed, will make our views regarding gender and sexuality a target. It defines sex to include sexual orientation, and it defines gender in terms of personal identity. Now, these are difficult notions to address objectively because they are being used not as biology but as personal perception. And in a postmodern, radically individualized world, it really becomes harder and harder to keep up with this. And the bill is also challenging previously held religious exemptions to things related to sex and gender. And the reason for that is because religion often has very serious ideas about sex and, and marriage and those kinds of things. Again, in a pluralistic world, there may be multiple ways, but if someone says our way or else, that becomes a problem. It's a problem when Christians do it. It's a problem when Muslims do it. It's a problem when secular people do it. Now, in the last week, I've listened to two responses, and both of them have me concerned. One is this rabid call to active and forcibly resist this. And I'm not quite sure what they mean, but they're sounding like they've got that American patriotic uh, drive, thinking that it's godly. And the other one bothers me as much, because people are panicking and becoming fearful and saying, we need to leave, we need, we need to hide. Neither of these responses is appropriate. Now, I'll give my personal opinion. I think it's most likely that at the present time, this bill will not pass the Senate, though it has a better chance than when it was brought up last time, because the House has passed it before. But if it does pass the Senate and the President signs it, then we need to be aware that this progressive agenda is advancing more quickly than we thought. And if that's the case... We have to be aware that it's directed against those who hold to a Jewish or Christian perspective regarding sexuality and gender, but also to those who hold a traditional American conservative idea about sexuality and gender. And don't confuse those. They may overlap, but they're not the same. If that happens... We have an appeal to the Supreme Court, which presently is a little more conservative and more prone to religious freedom issues. And so we do have that, and I think it's appropriate for us to do that. Not in ranting and raving, simply making our appeal to Caesar because of the rights that we have. Now, we as Americans have a constitutional right to the free exercise of religion. And that's being challenged indirectly by defining religion with respect to what's public and what's private. Uh, and what congregations can do versus what individuals can do. And the Supreme Court has recently been instrumental in protecting that. But the court is a human institution. And we cannot assume that it will always act in our favor. So while I believe we can and should make appeals to the courts, we must remember that our defense is to the Lord 
And I think we should be like Esther, and we should be in prayer about these things and ask God to give us favor with people, and we should treat people good so that they will be tolerant of us. It's not about just about rights. It's also about acting in a compassionate way towards other people so that they will act that way towards us. The PJI decision this week put California on notice that congregations are being overly burdened and harmed. But it also shows that there's a lot of fear. There's much fear in this country. People are afraid of COVID. Some people are afraid of the vaccines. People are afraid of the Democrats. They're afraid of the Republicans. They have a fear of socialism. They have a fear of capitalism. They have a fear of their own economic situation. They have a fear of immigrants. There is terrible uh, activity being done against Asian Americans simply because of the uh, alleged uh, source of the uh, uh, of the virus as if they had anything to do with it. And when fear increases, anger and intolerance follows. Now, emotion is not a symptom of the Holy Spirit, nor is it certain, but emotions can get out of hand. And we've been told to be angry and sin not. We are not to allow our emotions to control our behavior. So, we need to not fear. God is for us and God is with us. Even death can't prevent his love and his promises to us. So of all people, we should not panic or respond in desperation. God will watch over us for our good. And even if death would come, the scriptures say in an unusual text, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Such an odd statement if you look at it from this side, but such a hopeful statement if you look at it from the perspective of eternity. As the scripture says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. What a promise. What a hope. What a comfort. So maybe we should do a little self-talk, as the psalmist did, and I'll paraphrase that. Why are you fearful, O my soul? Hope thou in God, for he will never leave you nor forsake you. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful.